the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Listen very carefully. False teachers, and by that I'm talking about those who deny the gospel, unregenerate men and women who are in religion but are not saved. False teachers are notorious for being materialistic and for financially exploiting their followers in order to make themselves wealthy off of other people's money. to start another verse-by-verse radio program where we feature the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff, who is pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We have been listening to a series that is titled, A Faithful Shepherd Says Farewell. This is the Apostle Paul's address to the This is the Apostle Paul's address to the Ephesian elders. And over the last few lessons, Paul has been warning the Ephesian elders that there would be false teachers who would try to get to their congregations and get them to follow a lie. Today we are going to hear Pastor Steve tell us one of the distinguishing marks of a false teacher. It is greed. They are covetous and they try to exploit people and take advantage of them financially. If you have your Bible handy, please turn to Acts chapter 20, verses 33 through 38, which will be the source for today's message. You also should have a finger in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, because Pastor Steve will be referring to that passage shortly. Now, we are going to plunge into today's message with Pastor Steve Kreloff. At this point, we're faced with a couple of questions as we try to interpret this. Question number one is, why did Paul again insert himself and his own conduct into this farewell address. I mean, it does appear like he left that in verse 27, but why return to himself again? Question number two, in returning to speaking about himself, why did he feel compelled to bring up this specific issue of covetousness? Well, to answer these questions, we need to remember what the context is. Keep in mind, the context is this. He's just been telling these men about the false teachers who would soon be invading their church. And one of the distinguishing marks of a false teacher, note this, is that they are greedy. And in their greed, they exploit people by taking advantage of them financially. That's a mark of a false teacher. Listen very carefully. False teachers... And by that, I'm talking about those who deny the gospel, 
unregenerate men and women who are in religion but are not saved, false teachers are notorious for being materialistic and for financially exploiting their followers in order to make themselves wealthy off of other people's money. The word of God speaks abundantly about this. False teachers being characterized by greed. But the fact that the word of God has so much to say, we're not going to look at all these verses, but I think it's sufficient for us today to look at one specific statement about this, which kind of tells us everything we need to know. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, the second part of verse 14. Now understand, Peter's whole letter is devoted to telling us about false teachers. And here's one of the things he says. He says, having a heart trained in greed. He adds, accursed children. Accursed because they're not saved. They're under God's curse. But the interesting thing is that he says they have a heart trained in greed. Now, Peter states that false teachers are more than simply greedy. They go beyond that. He says they have a heart that's trained in greediness. So what does he mean by this? Well, what he means by this is clear from the Greek word that he uses for trained. This word, we get our English word gymnasium from this particular Greek word. And so what Peter is doing in using this specific word is he's giving us a very graphic descriptive picture of false teachers busily training their hearts to be greedy just like an athlete or athletes would train their muscles to perform well. The Phillips translation of this phrase I think really captures the point that Peter is making so I'm going to read it to you. Here's what the Phillips translation, not a popular translation but it does nail it down here and it's very important what It says, here's how Phillips translates this. Their technique of getting what they want is through long practice, highly developed. In other words, false teachers exercise their minds. They exercise their thinking long and hard in how to make money. As a result, these people are experts at milking people for money. They work hard at it. They train in thinking and coming up with ways to do this. That's why it's important for all of us to understand that false teachers being motivated by their lust for money, they have developed incredible skills at getting people to give them their money. This is why earlier in the chapter in verse 3, Peter wrote, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. These people are specialists in exploiting their followers to give them their hard-earned money. And they use well-established techniques, such as what? Well, dramatic appeals that play on people's emotions. Heart-wrenching stories and graphic pictures, usually of small children. And they apply pressure with spiritual intimidation, such as God told me to tell you to give your money to me. That's what God told me to tell you. So who wants to disobey God? In fact, I remember years ago, Oral Roberts saying that God told me that if I don't raise a certain amount of money for this ministry, I'm going to die. 
So who wants to be responsible for someone's death? And who wants to be responsible for a ministry closing down? So people tend to respond to that kind of stuff. It's spiritual intimidation. They feel obligated to give their money. You don't want to be the one who's responsible for the man's death. Listen, money-hungry greediness is really what's behind the prosperity gospel. These men ask you to give them money so that they can preach the gospel, but they don't preach the gospel. They don't even know the gospel. They never preach it. They don't preach the gospel. They just preach about how you should be healthy and wealthy. Why? Because the only reason that they care about you being healthy and wealthy is so that you'll be alive and have a lot of money to give to them to make them wealthy. That's what that's about. And that's the only thing that's about. They don't care about you. And many false teachers have become extremely wealthy. For example, one prosperity preacher I'm familiar with asked his followers for donations to purchase a $54 million jet. And he justified this request by saying that, and I'm quoting here, Jesus wouldn't be riding a donkey today. He would be flying around in a jet. Two prosperity preachers that I mentioned last week, Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn, are known to be extremely, extremely wealthy. Copeland lives in a mansion that's been described as the size of a hotel. He has a $20 million Cessna Citation private jet for flying around the country and even owns an airport for landing his jet. And Benny Hinn has said that his salary is over a million dollars a year. He also owns a private jet lives in a $10 million house near the Pacific Ocean, stays in hotel rooms that cost thousands each night, and he owns several luxury vehicles. This whole issue of greediness and exploitation of false teachers was brought home to me many years ago in a very personal way. Michelle and I had a neighbor, a very poor lady, who was frantic one day because she could not find her degree from all the courses that she had taken with Scientology. And when I asked her why her degree was so important to her, I mean, the woman was frantic about this. Why it was so important to her, she told me that she had spent $60,000 on these courses. And folks, that's just cultic exploitation. They robbed this poor woman. She was poor, and she now had basically nothing left. They robbed her. See, Scripture teaches that the underlying motivation of false teachers is covetousness. And they have no qualms about making money off of their followers by exploiting them. This is why they peddle their lies. And this is how they stay in business. They do it by offering you something like physical healing, deliverance from demons, or something to bring you a so-called blessing, all for your generous donation to them. Nothing is free. Dave Brees, in his book, Know the Marks of Cults, writes this. He said, the false religions of the world are characterized by lavish temples, overlaid with gold and studded with diamonds. Most of them stand in the midst of a sea of poverty, which the cults themselves have caused. Their apparent prosperity is nothing more than the shameful result of their cruel exploitation of frightened people who seek their favors with their financial gifts. Now, 
my purpose, my reason in explaining the greediness of false teachers is to say that the Apostle Paul was not like that. And that is exactly the point that Paul is making in mentioning that he did not covet anything from the Ephesians. Knowing that the false teachers of his day were covetous men, Paul is simply contrasting his attitude with the attitude of false teachers. See, false teachers in the ancient world were just as covetous as they are today. There is nothing new under the sun. In Titus chapter 1, Paul wrote about some false teachers of his day and their quest for money. Here's what the apostle said. Speaking of them, he wrote, they must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. What is sordid gain? It's shameful and dishonest gain. But that's what they were doing. And what Paul wants the Ephesian elders to understand is that he wasn't like that at all. Not at all. During his entire three years with them in Ephesus, he coveted, he said, no one's money, no one's fancy clothing. See, Paul, unlike the false teachers of that time, he lived by what the word of God teaches concerning money. Paul, for example, took to heart the words of Jesus when he said, you cannot serve God and mammon or money. You can't do it. You have to choose one or the other. Paul's life was in conformity to what the writer to the Hebrews said in Hebrews 13.5, when he said, let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. And Paul abided by the same standards he laid down for church elders and their qualifications when in 1 Timothy 3.3 he said elders must be free from the love of money. And that's exactly the attitude Paul wants these Ephesian elders to have. He wants them to follow his example by making sure that they don't use their positions of leadership in the church for personal gain. But that's not all. That's not all. Paul wants these men to understand something more concerning their pastoral responsibilities and finances. Now listen closely. More than following the example of not coveting what others had, Paul also wants these men to follow his example of working hard so that he could, watch this, he could be generous in giving and financially supporting other people. That's obvious by what he says next in verse 34. You yourselves know, he says, that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. Now, Paul reminds these elders of something that they had observed about him when he was with them. Remember, he'd been with them for three years, so they very well knew what he was like and how he lived. And that is instead of looking for the church to financially support him, Paul used his skill as a tent maker to work hard in order to care for his own needs as well as the needs of his missionary colleagues. That's exactly what he's talking about here. Now, listen, there were times when Paul did receive financial support from churches, such as when the Philippians sent Paul not only once, but more than once, financial gifts, and probably supplies too, material goods that he needed. He writes about this in Philippians 4, 
verses 15 and 16, he says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So yes, Paul did receive gifts, and he was grateful for their kindness, their sensitivity, their thoughtfulness. However, it's important to understand that while he received their gifts, I mean, he didn't send it back. He never solicited these funds. He never asked anyone in the church for their money. He never told them that they had to support him, that he expected it. Never. And yet, in his teaching, Paul made it clear that those who are called to a full-time ministry of preaching and teaching should receive an income from those who benefit from their ministry. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 13 and 14, the apostle wrote this. He said, Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar. So also the Lord directed that those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. It's rather clear. Again, in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, Paul stated that elders who worked hard at teaching and preaching should be financially compensated for their labors. He said the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Again, Galatians 6.6, Paul said the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now, although Paul taught that it was right for those who preach the gospel in a full-time capacity to be financially supported by the church. He certainly taught that. Yet in his own life, he refused to avail himself of that right. He purposely did not avail himself of that right. And the reason he chose not to avail himself of the right to be financially supported was because, and this is very important, Paul didn't want anyone to lump him in the same category with false teachers and think that like them, he was ministering out of greed for money. Paul didn't want anyone to misunderstand. Once again, notice what he told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 7 through 12. He said, who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it, or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock. He said, I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. God isn't concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, For our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not. We did not use this right. But we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Now, what is Paul saying? His thought here is while it was only natural 
and within his rights to receive wages and financial benefits for his work, just like soldiers do and farmers do and shepherds do. He chose not to use this right because he didn't want anyone misunderstanding his motives, thinking that he was just like every other religious con artist and huckster, and as a result, hindering the spread of the gospel. Paul said, I don't want to do that in any way. I don't want any misunderstanding. According to a number of references in his letters, Paul often worked as a tent maker. That was his skill, and he did it to earn a living so that others would know that he wasn't like the greedy false teachers who were so prevalent in the ancient world. And so he reminds the Ephesian elders that while in their city, he says he worked with his hands to support not only himself, but also the members of his missionary team. And this giving generous spirit. It wasn't limited to his colleagues. It was a way of life for Paul. It characterized him. Generosity was his way. He worked hard in order to help others who were in need, and he states this in the next verse. This goes beyond his missionary teammates. Verse 35, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, folks, this is the heart of what Paul wants these elders to know. This is the core. This is the meat of what Paul wants these elders to know concerning their pastoral responsibilities in relation to finances in the church. He says that by working hard, He illustrated something. He illustrated a great truth, a great principle to them that he wants them to learn and to apply. What was that truth? What was that principle? It was that they are responsible to financially help those who are weak, meaning those who are economically weak in the church. In other words, Paul labored not only to meet his own needs, not only to meet the needs of the men who worked with him, but he also labored in order to have enough money to give to those who were poor and needy. Doing so, he was obeying, he says, the words of Jesus when he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, you may be thinking, I've never read those words by Jesus in the gospel accounts, and you're right, they're not there. The saying by Jesus is not found in the four gospel accounts at the beginning of the New Testament. And it is the only quotation of our Lord's from his earthly ministry that is not recorded in the four gospels. Now, we do have a record of some of the things he said in the book of Revelation, but that's after his earthly ministry. This is the only quote we have of Jesus during his time on earth in ministering in Israel that it's just not found in the four gospels. It's only found here. Nevertheless, it was obviously a well-known saying by the believers of that day. And we know this because in bringing up this quote to the Ephesian elders, Paul states, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. You can't remember something if you don't know it to begin with. So they knew this. So this was a statement given by Jesus that the early Christians were familiar with 
and could be called upon to remember. And it became part of what we refer to as the accurate oral tradition that they passed on to each other. And it is quoted here accurately by the Apostle Paul to make a point. That point being that while those who receive monetary gifts from others are blessed, why are they blessed? Well, because God has used these gifts to bless them by supplying their needs. That's why they're blessed. Nevertheless, those who give these gifts, they're even more blessed than those who receive it. And they're more blessed in their giving because by giving, they are able to reflect God's character of being merciful, loving, and generous. In other words, the great blessing in giving is demonstrating Christ's love to others. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that is a very powerful statement by our Lord. I also appreciate the statement the Apostle Paul made with his life. He worked with his hands to support himself and those who ministered with him and to those who were needy in the church. Paul modeled generosity, which is quite the opposite of what the false teachers of that day and today are modeling. The false teachers were greedy. Paul not only told the Ephesian elders how important it was for them to be generous and to teach generosity in the church, Paul was an example of generosity. As we come to the close of today's program, I'm sorry to say we only have one more lesson in this series. So I hope you can join us next time for the conclusion of A Faithful Shepherd Says Farewell. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.